I, I had a reminder this weekend. It, it kind of relates to the, the verse that we're going to be going over tonight is, have you guys ever been to um, Bacon Broil up in Long Beach? Have you been there before? It's a restaurant. It's actually, believe it or not, um, I think it's Long Beach's most famous restaurant, okay? And it's like the most highly rated on Yelp. Anyway, been around forever. And they have, once a year, they have what's called pumpkin spice pancakes, okay? And if you've ever, okay, um, if, if you like, does anybody uh, like waffles from Roscoe's? Yeah. Okay, those are good, right? Those are great. I love them. However, pumpkin spice pancakes are on a whole nother level, okay? Literally, the syrup is like, I don't even, it's, it, oh, it's, an, it's insane. I just drink it, okay? I can just drink the syrup. It's so good. But here's what I realized is uh, we do, uh, as a staff, we take the pastors out and we do like this annual pumpkin spice pancake breakfast, and so we went this last Friday, and, um, and I, you know, you get that feeling afterward where sometimes when you eat something and you have a little bit of regret, do you ever have that, where you like a regret and you're just like, just stuff Carl's Jr., although the Chris Cut fries are fist, or guilt, even though I ate an ungodly amount of pancakes, okay? And, and here's the deal, though. Here's the deal. Although it was so good, it's, there is a big difference between uh, my, my felt needs and my real needs, okay? So my real needs are I need food right? Everybody needs food to live. However, I, my felt need is I need pumpkin spice pancakes as that food. Very big difference between the two. And so uh, I did some research and um, people came up with the top 10 things that they couldn't live without. Okay. The top 10 things that they couldn't live without. So let me give you the top 10 things Americans could not live without. Let's see if this was on one of your lists. Justin Bieber did not make it, however. Um, okay. Number 10. Americans cannot live without their social networks or social media, okay? So that's Facebook, that's Instagram, that's whatever, okay? Okay, can't live without that. Some of you guys checked it even just now while I was saying that. Okay, number nine. This one is so bizarre to me. I don't know how this made the list, but number nine is navigation or GPS. Okay, you guys, okay, that's fine. Some of you guys are agreeing. You're agreeing. I guess that's kind of true. You'd probably waste half your life just being lost, some of you. That's how I am too. That's how I am. I get it. No, I get it. I get it. I'm not, I'm not being a hypocrite here. I get it. I get it. I just don't mind being lost, I guess. Um, okay. Number eight, sex. Number seven, TV. TV. Uh, number six, their cell phone. Okay. You thought that would be further on the list, didn't you? Cell phone. Number five, internet. Can you imagine what life was like before internet? I actually, I lived it. It was crazy. Yeah, talk to me afterward. I'll tell you all about it. It was crazy. All right. Number four, computer. Number three, a car. Number two, a spouse. And number one, food, especially pumpkin spice pancakes, okay? So there are, uh, there is a big difference, and this is what the passage is going to tell us about today, between our felt needs and our real needs, okay? And so if you're, uh, if you're just visiting or you haven't been here very often, we are going through the book of Matthew, and um, we have been going through this for a couple weeks now, um, since January 1st. And so we are in Matthew 9. If you have your Bibles, you got your Bible apps, uh, go ahead and pull those up. If you have Google, you can Google it, Matthew 9. All right. So uh, here's what's going to happen is um, we are going to get uh, another one of Jesus' miracles because that's kind of what we've been working through the last few weeks is uh, different miracles that Jesus is doing. And I'm actually going to talk about the miracle that's in the, the book of Mark, but I'm also going to refer to the same miracle that takes place somewhere else. I'll explain when we get there. Okay. Here we go, Matthew uh, one, or 9, verses 1. Here's what it says. Jesus stepped into a boat, crossed over, and came to his own town. 
some men brought to him a paralyzed man lying on a mat. Okay, now let me give you a little background here, all right? So there's the Gospels, so if you know the Bible at all, um, there is what's called the Gospels, and that is the accounts of Jesus' life, okay? So it's four different books written by four different authors that tell similar stories about Jesus and his life. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, those are the Gospels. And so we have kind of some of the same scenario, or the same uh, same events that are recorded by different people with different perspectives and in different detail. And so we have the story of Matthew, and Matthew's like, okay, here's what happened. Jesus saw this paralyzed guy who his friends brought um, to hopefully be healed. Well, Luke gives us the same story, except he gives us a little bit more details. And I won't make you go over to Luke, but here's what he tells us. He tells us a little bit more details because these same friends bring this paralyzed man, their buddy, to see Jesus, except there's a huge crowd. They can't get in to see him. And so if you've heard this story before, what they do is they don't give up. They don't just like, oh, good luck to you. You know, like, no, 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 these are good friends. And so what they do is they climb on the roof of the house in which Jesus is at, and all these people are crowding around. They can't get in. And they dig a hole through the roof, and then they lower him down to see Jesus from the roof. So you can imagine chandelier is a paralyzed man, okay? So he's coming down. Here he comes. Okay. Now, here's what happens. It continues on. When Jesus saw their faith, so the faith of the friends and the paralyzed man, he said to the man, take heart, son. Your sins are forgiven. Okay, so let me pause on this for a second. All right. So when we, when we see this guy and we see kind of the, the circumstances that he, is, uh, that he is going through, it's fairly obvious what his felt need is, right? His felt need is to not be paralyzed, okay? To be able to use my limbs, to be able to walk. That seems to be a pretty obvious need, and he came to see Jesus to have this need met. And so when Jesus comes in and he has a conversation or, or he, uh, he uh, addresses the guy, he doesn't address what the felt need is. He doesn't say, okay, cool, you're healed all of a sudden. No, no, no. Jesus does something totally different. He uh, approaches the man, and he doesn't address his felt need. He addresses a different need. Now, if we're looking at this from the perspective of the friends of the paralyzed guy, you've got to be like, okay, so Jesus, we just went through an enormous amount of effort to get this guy to you, right? Like we dug a hole in the roof. Now this has a sunroof, which is kind of a cool deal, but kind of a bummer for the owner. And so now we lowered this guy down into here. We have gone through an enormous amount of work and trouble to get here. And then when he finally gets to talk to you, you tell him something like, your sins are forgiven. That's not what we're here to do, Jesus, is we are not here to have our sins forgiven. We are here to experience a miracle. We have a very different set of criteria of what our, our needs are. And so... Uh, it's kind of interesting because immediately I can see myself in this, in this story. And whenever we're reading the Bible, um, here's a little Bible hint, is you are supposed to see how this relates to your life, but you are never Jesus in here, okay? I know this is a shocker to you guys. This is crazy. But like a lot of people are like, well, that's what Jesus did. That's pretty much me. You know, like I'm kind of Jesus. No, you are always the person who is on the other end of the deal, okay? And so when we look at this story, we can see ourselves maybe as the friends, but we can also see ourselves as the paralyzed man. And so if I I'm looking at this story, and I'm looking at myself as the man who is being approached by Jesus. I have my own set of felt needs, 
right? I have my own set of needs in which if Jesus were going to say, what do you want, Cody? I would say this in order. And I think you probably have your own, your own set of needs, right? So my needs are, are, okay, Jesus, here's what I need. I need you to watch over me and my family, keep us all safe and healthy and strong, okay? Um, I need to have a really good marriage. I would I like, like to be a little bit skinnier and more fit without having to try. Uh, I'd like to be able to eat what I want. Okay, so I have like my list of, of priorities, okay? And so here's my list of priorities. Here's my felt needs, Jesus. These are the things that I need you to address. Oh, yeah, and I want to be rich, okay? Don't forget to be rich, okay? So I want to be rich. And so I give him my felt needs, right? And if you were uh, going to talk to Jesus and he was going to say, what do you need? What are the necessities in your life? You would probably give him a list as well, right? So you'd be like, I want to move out of my parents' house, okay? Need number one. Um, I want to find a job or at least know what job I should do or have some kind of direction in life or um, I want to pay off my student loans or I want to find a boyfriend or a girlfriend or I want to lose my boyfriend or girlfriend, whatever it is, okay? You have like your set of uh, felt needs that you're going to bring to Jesus. Now, here's the thing is when we bring our needs to Jesus, and by the way, this is like how most of our prayer time goes, right? It's us like giving our like list of needs to Jesus. And then here's what sometimes happens. And especially um, the, more, the more important or the more, I guess, serious our needs are, the more angry or disappointed we become when God does not answer those needs, the requests. So you can imagine some needs in our life in which we have incredible financial stress, or we maybe even have some physical ailment that we're dealing with or that a family member is struggling with. Maybe we have some kind of emotional turmoil, some kind of relational strife that's happening. And so you can imagine that you come to God with your list of needs like his. This is a big need. He's paralyzed. This is a big problem. And he comes to Jesus with his list of needs. And yet initially Jesus doesn't do anything. He doesn't meet the needs of this person. Now here's why. It's not because, and we'll find out in the story, it's not because Jesus doesn't love him. It's not because he doesn't care about what our needs are, and he doesn't say that those are not important, and he denies that we have these needs. No, 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 no. The thing that we're going to realize is that God has a very different perspective on needs than we do. He sees our needs, and we see our needs, and we don't look at them the same way. We do not see the same set of needs. See, because from God's perspective, he says, yes, you have these temporal, immediate needs in front of your face. However, I'm looking at not just the, the whole of your life, but I'm looking at the whole of eternity. And so when I look at your needs, my perspective is far different than your perspective, right? Because most of us can't see past the weekend, right? We cannot see past what we immediately want, what we immediately desire. And yet God sees not just the beginning from the end, but he sees everything in our life and everything in the world. And so when he sees our needs and we see our needs, those are not the same lists. In fact, we know they're not the same list because when we are making our list of needs, forgiveness from God is not anywhere on the list, right? If I had you sit down and legitimately come up with what is your list of needs that you have in your life, you would come up with probably some pretty funny ones, some practical ones, some more serious ones, but I can almost guarantee that, not, that on your list there will not be forgiveness from God anywhere. And yet, Jesus' number one priority for us, the number one need he says that we have, is a relationship with him and forgiveness from God. Two vastly different lists, two vastly different needs that we have. And see, this isn't just like 
this isn't just a, a thing in which this guy is struggling with. This is a thing that all humans struggle with. So um, I don't, we've talked about this, uh, the kind of the political climate that's happening and things like that. And I've been kind of public, like, I just, I'm bummed about the whole scenario, okay? I'm bummed about it across the board. I don't want to talk about it. It makes me sad, okay? And so when I think about the political thing, one of the things that I remembered is uh, they were interviewing Donald Trump. And uh, he said, oh, yeah, I'm a Christian and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, interesting, okay. Uh, I'm not sure what Bible we re you read, but that's fine. And so uh, they ask him a fundamental question about Christianity. And, he's, and it says, have you ever repented and asked for forgiveness for your sins? And his answer was, I've never asked for forgiveness because I don't think I need forgiveness. Now, this is a very bold statement. I actually appreciate that he said that because I go, okay, at least you're being honest. He could have just given lip service and been like, oh, yeah, you know, like, I asked for forgiveness. All the time. No, no, no. He said, I don't need forgiveness. And what he said is actually what all of us believe, is we all believe that we're not that bad, that we're actually pretty good and that God could not be upset with us and that we actually are on pretty good terms with him and we don't need any type of forgiveness. Uh, in fact, that's kind of the ethos of all of our, of our generation is, I don't need God because I'm good. I'm good the way that I am. Yeah, I would like him to help me out a little bit more, but as far as forgiveness, reconciliation, all that kind of stuff, no, 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 that doesn't even resonate with us because we feel like morally we're fine. And so when we look at our felt needs versus God's felt needs, very different set. Now, when Jesus, uh, when Jesus says, and this is, this is interesting because I can imagine this happening today, when Jesus says uh, in this next part, he says, uh, he says this, he says, take heart, your sins are forgiven. I would imagine that everyone in that audience was disappointed. That everybody was going, what? That's not what we came here for. We came here for a show, man. Do something cool. Like do a miracle or something. Water and wine would be fantastic right now. You know, like do something cool. And yet he says, your sins are forgiven. And I would imagine everybody in the room just went, ah, oh, come on, man. That's it? That's all you got? Anybody could say that. See, because he comes in with this priority list. He comes in with these needs, and he says, here's your needs, here's my needs. Now, let me give you another example of this. Is, um, I talk about my kids all the time because it gives me great perspective on how God, I think, views me. Um, and, and so when I'm thinking about, like, how do I do this, I think about my kids. And so one of my kids, like my, my son, he's two, Ezra, one of his, like, number one felt needs, he believes this is the most important thing in his life in the moment, is to dress up like Buzz Lightyear every single day, Okay? Every single day, it's to infinity and beyond, okay? Every day. Every day, it's to infinity and beyond, okay? And so, he believes that his need, one of his biggest needs in life is to be Buzz Lightyear, okay? But as I look at his list of needs, and that's at the top, I think, I don't know, food, water, survival would be pretty fantastic for him, which has been questionable lately because he took a couple dive bombs lately. And so, I'm looking at my list of needs for him and his list of needs, not anywhere close to the same. Why? Because my perspective and his perspective are so different. See, if we saw as God sees, we would see forgiveness as our number one need. All right, so uh, let's continue on. Um, verse three says this. At this, some of the teachers of the law said to themselves, this fellow is blaspheming. Okay, so this is probably not a word that you use very often. At, at like, you're, like, you're not at Starbucks and you're like, hey, you're blaspheming, you know, like, no, I don't even think you probably ever said that before. You don't even know what it means. And so uh, here's kind of what is happening here is when Jesus claims that he 
has forgiven someone's sins, he's actually claiming that he is God. Now, let me explain how this works. Let's say for a moment, Alec is right here. Let's say that um, I walk up to Alec and I punch him in the throat, okay? <laughs> Which is not that crazy to think about, really. I've thought about it many of times. And so I walk up and I punch him directly in the throat. Now, let's say that Daniel then comes up to me and says, Cody, I forgive you for punching him in the throat, okay? You would say, wait a minute, hold on, time out. That doesn't make any sense. You punched Alec in the throat, not Daniel in the throat. Why are you able to forgive him? And so here's what's happening. If Jesus says, I forgive you of your sins, now sins are an offense to God, okay? If Jesus says, I forgive you of your sins, what he's saying is, I forgive you of an offense made to God because I am God. You can only forgive an offense that is done to you. You cannot forgive an offense that is done to somebody else. And so when he forgives sins, what he's saying is, your sin, your offense to God is offensive to me because I am God incarnate. People ask all the time, like, well, you know, God, or Jesus never claims to be God. Well, you don't know how to read the Bible then. Because he says it all over the place. If you're sitting there, and this is why he was crucified, by the way, is he is claiming to be God when he forgives sins. And he does that all over the place. So right here, Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. Okay, verse four. Uh, knowing their thoughts, which by the way, is kind of like, I know that like, Jesus knows our thoughts and stuff, but can you imagine in real time him sitting there, like knowing your thoughts, and you're like, ah, frick! <laughs> you know, like, ah, oh, sorry about that. You know, like, oh. I'm really trying, though, you know, I'm really trying. Can we meet somewhere else? This is distracting. I don't know. This is, this is not working. The beach is a bad place to be to meet with Jesus, and so let's just go. I don't know. It's a thing. Anyway, okay. Did that get too real for some of you guys? Okay. Uh, <laughs> can you imagine? That would be so crazy. Oh, my gosh. That would be terrifying. You could literally go nowhere with Jesus. You could li Okay, sorry. Okay. <laughs> All right, knowing, knowing their thoughts, Jesus said, why do you entertain evil thoughts in your hearts? And then he gives them a little riddle. Here's what he says. Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk? So Jesus is, uh, he, he knows what they're thinking. He knows that the religious leaders are angry because he's claiming to be God. And they are, that is like capital punishment, like obviously turns out to be capital punishment. You cannot do that. And so he knows what they're thinking. He knows uh, that uh, they're angry about this. And so he gives them a little riddle. And here's the riddle. He says, which is easier to say your sins are forgiven or get up and walk? It's kind of a trick question because here's why. On the surface, it's easier to say your sins are forgiven. Why? Because that's that's like a thing that cannot be falsified, right? You cannot prove if someone's sins are forgiven or not. Right? There's no, like, you can't just be like, hey, your sins are forgiven. I could walk around and say that, and you could be like, I don't know, maybe they are, maybe they're not. There's no really, no way to prove it. And yet, if he said, get up and walk, that's falsifiable. That's immediate. That's like, hey, he's still paralyzed. You're a liar. And yet, it also is the most difficult thing in the world to say and actually have the authority to do it. So to say your sins are forgiven is easy, but to actually forgive someone's sins, impossible unless you're God. And so it's a kind of a trick, it's kind of a false dilemma, it's kind of a trick question. So here's what he does, is he kind of puts this in front of them, and he says this, in verse 6, 
Uh, but I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he puts this trick question, which is harder, to say your sins are forgiven or to say get up and walk. In actuality, it's far harder to say your sins are forgiven and it actually be true because if you can do that, telling someone to get up and walk who's paralyzed is easy because you have the authority over everything. And so he then proves in his next action what he claimed in the first. When he said your sins are forgiven, he proved that to be true and he proved that he had the authority in this next part. He says this, so he said to the paralyzed men, get up and take your mat and go home. Get up, take your mat and go home. So he says, I have authority to forgive sins. Oh, and if you don't believe me, let me show you how this works. And then boom, he gets up and he walks. Now, you would think that this is the point of the story, and it is. It, is. It, it verifies the fact that he has the authority over heaven and earth, and, and we've talked about that in the last weeks. But let me point out something that maybe is not as obvious. Is I almost feel like Jesus would be kind of disappointed, because here's what happens next. In verse 7, uh, then the man got up and went home. When the crowd saw this, they were filled with awe, and they praised God, who had given such authority to man. I feel like Jesus would be kind of disappointed at the end. Here's why. It's because when he said, your sins are forgiven, they did nothing. In fact, they're probably pretty upset. We know the Pharisees started to get angry. That was like the real point. That's like the real miracle right there. And yet when he does this pretty you know, simple miracle in the grand scheme of things, if he is the creator, this is when they begin to praise. This is when they begin to worship. And I kind of imagine that he would go, your priorities are out of whack if you think that this was the success here. If you think that the healing was the big miracle that was done here, you've missed it. Your priorities are out of whack. You, have been, you are so focused on your felt needs that you've missed your real needs being addressed. And see, this is all of our problem. Fundamentally, we are so focused on our felt needs, what we want in the moment, that we're missing the real miracle. And so let me give you three, uh, three learnings, I think, that we can get from this scripture. Learning number one is that all issues are ultimately sin issues. All issues are ultimately sin issues. And so uh, there's this idea that there are root causes and then like causal ca ca factors. Okay. <laughs> causal. Ca every week I can never, there's one word that I can never, it's a different word every week. This week it's causal. So there's root causes and then factors. Okay. Causal. Causal. <sighs> Miracles happened just now. Okay. All right, root causes, causal factors. Two times, causal factor. Okay, so a causal factor is something that um, is like a, a cause of an outcome or an event, okay? But then there's like the root cause or the root factor in which this is ultimately what put, put this event or, or put this, uh, put this, uh, frickin' A, put this. <laughs> okay, we're gonna go to an example here. All right. This is stupid. Okay, let's say this. Uh, let me give you an example, because this isn't working out well. Uh, let's say that my felt need is trying to get more money. Like, I have zero dollars in the bank, all right? So let's say I'm broke, which is not hard for most of us to imagine, and so we are broke. And so you would say the causal factor and the reason why you are broke, at least this is true for me, is because I eat out too much. I eat out too much. I eat out every meal. Like, I eat out every, I, it's a ridiculous amount of food that I eat out. I never cook at home, nothing, okay? So the, one of the reasons why, the causal factor that I am broke is because I eat out too much. 
However, that's not the root cause of my issue. The root cause is I don't know how to make a budget and stick to it. So do you see? There's like the causal factor, and then there's like the root cause. Like at the bottom, what is the real problem here? And so what Jesus does is, is he's trying to uh, tell us that what you believe the cause or the problem is in your life is not the real problem. There's something deeper. Now, we as a society, we have separated the physical problems from the spiritual problems, that we see no connection. We live in this very materialistic, uh, secular society in which we don't think there's overlap. In fact, oftentimes we'll deny spiritual causes. And so we have these two different realms in which these two will never meet. And so we never think about the reason why I have X issues is because of a spiritual issue. So let me give you another example. Is, um, some of our felt needs is that we're kind of lost in life. I speak to young adults all the time, is we don't know what we're going to do with our life. We don't know what, what our purpose is. We don't know uh, where we're supposed to go. We ultimately, we just have a lot of questions. And so a lot of our felt needs is, what am I supposed to do with my life? Why does it matter? Why am I valuable? What, I, we just have all these big questions. And so this is, this is the, the felt need that we have, is to answer these questions. And so oftentimes we will see, say that um, the reason why we feel like this is because we don't have the career that we want, because we don't have that boyfriend or girlfriend or spouse, because we don't have any money, because we can't move out of the house. We put all of these things as the, the factors in why we feel this way. But then Jesus comes along and he says, those may be true. You may be feeling inadequate and unhappy and unsatisfied in life because you don't have these things, but ultimately, those things are not going to fix your problem. They may help a little bit. They may make things a little bit easier, and sure, we'll address those things, but ultimately, your issue is far deeper than that. Your issue is you are looking for something that can only be fulfilled in knowing Christ, and not just knowing Christ, but finding your identity in him, being okay with who you are no matter the circumstances, saying, I am valuable, I am worthy, I can be joyful in all circumstances because I know him. And so Jesus comes along and says, you blame all of these other circumstances, but really the root cause is far deeper than that. Jesus says the root cause, the real issue, is separation between our creator and ourselves. That there is this thing called sin, and sin has come into the world, and sin ultimately is the issue that needs to be taken care of. Because of sin, all these other problems, all these relational problems, all these financial problems, all these physical problems have now entered into the world. And you can fix those things, and that will be great. And Jesus wants to address those things. He wants to fix those things, but ultimately he knows it's a band-aid unless he fixes the root cause of the issue, which is a separation from God. I, uh, I remember a few years ago I had... Um, I had a root canal. I don't know if you've ever had a root canal before or not. Delightful experience. Uh, I had a root canal, and first root canal I'd ever had in my life, and I went home, and I'm like, man, I have the worst headache right now. Like, I've had headaches before, and this one was just, oh my gosh. Like, I, I literally, have you ever heard someone describe, like, I just wanted to stick something in there and just make it, like, I don't relieve something, you know? It was one of those kind of intense headaches. And so um, I, I, I started to take like Tylenol and then more Tylenol and then like throwing a couple other mixes in there, you know? And because uh, I just wanted to, the pain to go away. I just, I had this felt need to make the pain go away. But here's the issue is I had the felt need, the headache, but I wasn't addressing the root cause of the headache. I was just trying to come up with a temporary fix in order to make the headache go away. See, the root cause was, I needed another root canal. 
I needed two root canals one week, unrelated to each other. My luck, right? And so I had a felt need, a headache, but I had a real need that needed to be addressed, which was a root canal. And in order to truly address my headache, I had to address the deeper need. See, the same thing is true of our life. As we see all these symptoms of the problem, we see all these other arenas of our life that are affected, but, and we can fix them. But it's ultimately not going to change things unless we address what the root cause is. And the root cause is spiritual, a separation between us and God. Okay, number two. Um, God is more concerned with your soul than your situation. Um, this may not be news to some of you guys, but um, God is not ultimately concerned with how comfortable you are in life. Is If you think that um, God ultimately just wants you to be happy or comfortable or successful or satisfied, um, you are going to be very disappointed. Because Jesus' ultimate goal to come to earth was not to make you rich or to give you like a good-looking spouse or to make lots of money. Yeah, sure, maybe you will have those things. Amy got one of those, obviously. But... <laughs> No? Okay. That's fine. It is, God is far more concerned with the status of your soul and molding your character than he is with whatever situation you, you find yourself in. So let me give you a really personal example of this. Is, uh, and I've shared, with this, uh, shared, you, shared this publicly before, is um, one of the, the hardest battles in my life and most um, difficult things I've struggled with is this thing called OCD. And OCD is this little mind trick that happens in which you believe a threat is more uh, imminent than it really is or that there is a threat or, or whatever, and you, you start to, starts to struggle mentally with this, even though you know it's not true. And so OCD has been one of those things that throughout my life has raised its head, and I've told people it is a living hell to experience this, whatever this, uh, this OCD is, and has caused immense uh, emotional and, um, and spiritual and physical pain in my life. It's probably one of the darkest you know, times throughout my life that I've experienced. And so when I'm in those moments, um, I sometimes sit down and I'm feeling just completely exhausted, just so broken. And when I'm sitting in those moments, I'll sometimes sit there and I'll go, God, why are you allowing this to happen right now? In fact, sometimes my very faith is shaken because of these moments of darkness. And I go, God, why are you allowing me to experience something so incredibly painful? It, 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 it just, it, it literally is eating me away inside. Lord, why are you allowing this to happen to me? And then I started to look at some scriptures like this and I started to realize, you know, God is not ultimately concerned with how comfortable you are. Yes, he loves you, but he has something bigger in mind. And so I started to start to ask a question, what could God be doing in these moments, in me and through me? Like, because I'm experiencing an enormous amount of pain, so what is God doing in me and through me? And so I started to look at um, kind of what God might be doing in me. And I realized that the biggest growth that I've ever had, both spiritually and relationally, has been not in the moments in which I feel like I can, uh, I, I can tackle the biggest obstacles. No, no, no. The places that I've had the most spiritual and intellectual and emotional and relational growth has been in those very dark and desperate moments when God says, that's why I'm allowing you to go through this. That's why you're experiencing this pain right now. And so every time I find myself in one of those situations, whether it's because of OCD or whether it's because relational conflict or whatever it may be, I, sometimes, I, I sit back and I go, okay, God, what do I need to see from your perspective right now? 
Because in my perspective, it's painful. But your perspective, you see something that I don't see. And so what are you doing? What are you up to? And so I start to look at those situations from, if I can, from God's perspective. Say, God, okay, you must have a reason for this. You must have a purpose in all of this pain. And so it's actually brought me hope and relief as I watch God working through these moments. And sometimes it's not even for me. It's so that other people can see, hey, it's okay to go through this. Hey, he still believes. Hey, look at his faith and how he continues to be strong. Or maybe it's because he needs to strengthen me. Maybe it's because he needs to work something out of me. Maybe because uh, he needs to prepare me for something that's in the future. But in those moments, I have seen God do the most profound work in my life. But here's the, here's the reality is we will encounter moments in our life in which we cannot see from God's perspective what he sees. It just doesn't make any sense. We don't understand why we're experiencing what we're experiencing. We don't understand the pain. We don't understand the tragedy. We don't get it at all. In fact, it is incredibly dark and we can't see a way through this. And I think that's what this last thing is telling us is the last thing is that we can trust him. I know it sounds cliche, but when we look at the scripture, it's just another affirmation that... We can trust Jesus even when um, we don't see a way through, even when it's dark, even when we don't understand his perspective. When he looks down at this man, and I kind of imagine that this is how the scene is going, is that this man, he's paralyzed and he's lying on this mat, and his entire life is hanging in the balance, and yet Jesus steps down and he looks him in the eye, and you know what he says? He says, take heart, son. Take heart, son. See, this is not just some like, like wizard who gets up there and does a spell and he pronounces some crazy things. And he's like, get up and let's go run, you know, like run for God. No, what he does here is he bends down, he looks him in the eye, and he says the most caring and comforting and gracious words to this man. He says, take heart, son. I can just imagine what that would feel like. Like in your deepest, darkest moments when you're just like, I don't get this. And then Jesus just looks into your soul and he says, it's going to be okay. I've got this. Yeah, it doesn't make sense right now. I get it. You got a lot of questions, but I've got it. See, I, uh, I don't think you can experience this until you are a parent, but I kind of get it now a little bit, just a glimpse of it. Because when I... Uh, Get emotional when I talk about this. Um, when I look at my kids and I, I tuck them in at night and I look into their eyes and, and I'm telling them how much I love them and how much I care for them, I just get a little glimpse. I get a little glimpse of how God probably looks at me and how Jesus cares for me. And he goes, <laughs> he, the grace and the tenderness and a person who I don't, I'm not a touchy-feely, emotional person at all, but just when I look into my kids' eyes and I just, I care for them that much, I can only imagine that that's how God sees me. And it, 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 I wish I could, just, I wish I could experience that all the time. But I grasp on to, to times like this when I look at what Jesus says to those who are hurting, those who are in pain, and he kneels down and he says, I've got you. It's okay. It's going to be all right. I know you don't get it right now. I know this doesn't make sense, but I've got you. There's a scene in the scriptures in which Jesus, and I think it's probably one of the more, more dramatic scenes in which Jesus goes to the home of uh, a little girl who has passed away. And the family is mourning and they're grieving and they're wailing because this little girl's body is sitting right there. And Jesus does the most amazing thing. He walks over to this little girl and he sits down beside her and he takes her hand 
And, and it, this is recorded in um, Aramaic, the, the language that Jesus spoke, spoke because it's an eyewitness account. He grabs this little child's hand and he says, honey, it's time to get up. Just like a parent would when they're getting their kid up in the morning. Honey, sweetheart, it's time to get up. And Jesus reaches into the deepest, darkest place. He reaches into death itself and he pulls gently this little girl out of the grave. And when I see this Jesus, I'm just reminded this Jesus can be trusted. This Jesus loves me more than I can even imagine. And as far and distant as that may feel sometimes, I have to remind myself that this is the Jesus that died on the cross for me, that cares for me that much. This is a Jesus that, in the circumstances that I don't understand, I can trust him. One of the keys is to see God the way, see, see the situations the way that God sees it, but I think we also have to see ourselves the way God sees us. One of the reasons why I trust my wife is because I know how much she loves me. I know how much she cares for me. And so I trust her. I know that she cares for me. And if I can realize that God cares for me even more, that he loves me infinitely more than that, it will, it will, I can only trust him in those moments. Even in the moments when he doesn't give me the answers, he doesn't give me the insight, I know that he cares for me, that he loves me. So wherever you're at, whatever you may be experiencing, whether it's these needs that are immediate and you just cannot see a way through it, or whether it's just some desires that you have, I think ultimately we have to see both the situation the way that God sees it and ultimately see ourselves the way God sees us. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we, uh, we thank you for, for loving us, Lord God. We thank you for caring for us. I have been in the church my entire life. I've heard a thousand sermons on how you love us and how you care for us. And I got to be honest, they oftentimes bounce off of my heart because my heart is, is guarded. It's cynical. It's hard, Lord God. And yet you, you wait for those little moments where you can sneak in, where you can give us a glimpse of your love. You can show us and let us feel and experience um, the way that you see us, Lord God. And I thank you for that, Lord. Lord, I pray for my own life that you would transform me, that you would help me to see the situations in my life, to see me the way that you see me, Lord God. Lord, oftentimes I, I don't see a way through things. I don't understand. I don't get it. And ultimately, I just trust you, Lord. And so I just pray that same prayer for so many people in this room who just don't see a way forward, who don't understand, who don't get it, Lord God, that they would ultimately just be able to trust you, that they would be able to say at the end of the day, it is well with my soul because I know who has it. Lord, we love you. We thank you. Same we pray. Amen.